Before we come to our text, have you ever waited a really long time for something? How long did you wait? Kids, I remember what it was like being a kid waiting for Christmas to come this time of year. It seemed like the month of December took a year, just dragged on and on and on. It's really hard to wait. But what about other things that you've waited for? Maybe you've waited and waited and waited, and it feels like whatever it is, it will never come. It will never happen. For some of you, I know you're waiting for information about your immigration. For others, you might be waiting for relationships, maybe new relationships or renewal of relationships that are broken. Still others might be waiting for information about a job or school. There are all kinds of things that we must wait for. And no matter what we're waiting for, waiting is hard. To be patient, to not lose hope, to not feel like you're alone in your waiting. This morning, our text will remind us that there was a lot of waiting for God's promise of salvation, of hope, of renewal, a lot of waiting. I mean, a lot of waiting, nearly 1,500 years since God made that promise that we looked at last week, that he'd raise up a prophet like Moses. And many thousands of years before that, when God gave his promise in the Garden of Eden that we reread this morning, and yet, in the reminder that there was a lot of waiting, we also reminded that when the waiting was over, there was a new and better reality of the world, a new and better hope. So let's read Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, your word made flesh, your word who dwelt among us. Your word, who lived, died, rose again, and sits on the throne of heaven. We thank you for your word. That word made flesh given to us this day in the word of Scripture. We pray you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the hope that is in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're now in our third week of our Advent series that's titled, Hope Rises from Unexpected Places. Our first text that I referenced was Genesis 3.15. Humanity had fallen into sin, and God is in the midst of cursing the serpent, 
the woman and the man that we read this morning, and yet in the midst of that curse was hope. The hope of a promise that God would send someone to conquer evil and make all things new. Last week we were in Deuteronomy 18.15 and we saw that God would raise up a prophet like, but even way better than Moses. God's people knew they needed a mediator. We talked about how when they were at Mount Sinai, they did not want to be in the presence of God and hear his voice, and they asked Moses to be their mediator on their behalf. And Moses filled that role, though imperfectly. And we saw that we too need a mediator. Our hope is found in Jesus, who's the true and better mediator, who speaks to his people, but also who speaks to God on behalf of his people. This morning we jump ahead about 1,500 years. Jesus has come, and Paul, writing to the Galatians, reminds us that we we want, we want things to come in our time. But hope, Paul reminds us, comes in the fullness of time. We want hope to come in our time. We want it to be on our time time frame, our timeline. We want it to be the way we want it, but hope comes in the fullness of time. And there's lots of speculation about what exactly Paul has in mind when he uses the term fullness of time. Was Paul referring to the fact that the law of Moses had done its job to show God's people their need for salvation beyond their own own law-keeping? Was he referring to the reality uh, of the Roman Empire spreading across the known world with a common language, with roads built like never before to carry goods in the gospel across vast areas? Is it reference to the Gentiles losing trust in their pantheon of gods and open to hearing the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, true God of true God, begotten, not made. Yes, it's quite possible that Paul was in fact referring to all of those things. But even more importantly, Paul certainly had in the forefront of his mind that the completeness of time had finally come. The time that God had set before the foundation of the world. The time that God had set when he made that promise in the garden. The coming of Jesus Christ into human history was not an accident. Not only was the incarnation the fulfillment of many Old Testament prophecies, but it was also the climax of a plan devised within the eternal counsel of the triune God before the creation of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. And our main point this morning from our text is when the fullness of time had come, hope was born. Paul uses this imagery of born, being born of a woman, born under the law, born for redemption and born for adoption. First, born of a woman in verse 4. First and foremost, Paul is reminding us 
that God sent forth his son born of a woman. This is to, re, to show the fact that Jesus was really human. He didn't just appear to be human. He was born just like we are born. Yet because his conception was miraculous in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he was born without sin. Jesus, he's saying, fully participated in the human condition. While Jesus' conception was supernatural, his birth was perfectly normal, complete with a dingy manger, soiled swaddling clothes, and other conditions known with the birth of a poor peasant in ancient Palestine. The eternal divine Son of God was really and truly born of woman. For any Jew, whether it be Paul or not, also in his mind, as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, the chief relevance of this phrase would no doubt be in reference to Genesis 3.15. Here at last in Jesus is the promised seed, the promised offspring of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. It is also the reminder of Isaiah 7:14 therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us this is the promise that Paul is referring to when he reminds his readers then and now that when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman. This was the fulfillment of those promises from so long ago. But not only was God born as human, born of a woman to keep the promise made in Genesis, but he was born under the law. He was born under, meaning the, under the conditions of law. And this is most likely a reference to his birth as a Jewish man, a Jewish boy under the law of Moses. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we see that Christ came to fulfill the law and that Christ perfectly kept the law according to his Jewish heritage. Yet there is very likely another aspect which Jesus was born under the law. Jesus himself God the Son, the Word of God is the law giver. He is the King of the universe, full of glory and power, and yet He comes not as an all-powerful King, not with a scepter to rule, but He comes under the law. He comes as a servant. As we professed our faith using Philippians 2, we were reminded that Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was born under the law. The one who was above the law. The one who spoke the law into existence 
The Word of God put himself under the law. The lawgiver came as a servant, being born under the law. Paul goes on to say he was also born for redemption in verse 5. Jesus Christ was God's eternal son prior to being sent into the world. Right? Jesus did not begin to be the son of God in Bethlehem. Right? Jesus born in the manger is not the time when, when God the son became, it's not when he came into existence. God the son is eternal with God the father and God the Holy Spirit. He did not begin to become the Son of God at the Jordan River when he was baptized, when he went into the waters for baptism and, and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and, and the heavens opened and God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He did not become the Son of God at the resurrection or at his ascension. He is the eternal Son of God born for the purpose of redemption. God sent his son not just from Galilee to Jerusalem or just from the manger to the cross, but all the way from heaven to earth. In sending Jesus, God did not send a substitute or a backup. The triune God gave himself. As John Stott states, he succeeded where all others before and since have failed. He perfectly fulfilled the righteousness of the law so the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ uniquely qualified him to be man's redeemer. If he had not been man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men. And if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men for God or made them the sons of God. Redemption is often discussed in what we are redeemed or saved from. We are redeemed from the curse of the law, from slavery to sin, from the clutches of the evil one, all absolutely true and biblical. And yet Paul wants us to show in our text a different purpose for our redemption. The Son of God was born of woman and put under the law in order to redeem us from the law so that we might receive full rights as God's children. Notice that God's purpose was both to redeem and to adopt, born for adoption. You see, in our text, Paul is reminding us that when the fullness of time had come, hope was born of a woman, born under the law, born for redemption, and finally born for adoption. Verse 5, in Ephesians 1, 5, adoption is rooted in God's sovereign election. For God, said, Paul says, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In Romans 8:23 adoption encompasses our future resurrection the redemption of our bodies for which we eagerly wait here in Genesis 4, or in Galatians 4:5 4, 
Also in Romans 8, 15, adoption refers to the present status of our sonship given to all believers who through the new birth have become heirs with Christ of the promise given to Abraham. What does it mean that we are adopted? Well, just before our text, at the end of chapter 3, Paul explains, beginning in verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You and I, everyone who has ever put their faith in Jesus Christ is heirs of the promise of Genesis 3, 15. Heirs of the same promise given to Abraham that his offspring would bless the entire world. Heirs of the same promise given to Moses. Heirs of every promise, every promise of God. We are heirs in Christ Jesus of every promise. We are heirs of hope. Brothers and sisters, I pray this hope for us today. That no matter the circumstances of our waiting, that while you wait, you are sons and daughters of God. You are sons and daughters of God through the one who was born of a woman. Sons and daughters of God uh, through the one who was born for your redemption and your adoption. Sons and daughters dearly loved. Loved so much that he sent his son to redeem you by the blood of the cross. Loved so much to adopt you as his own. Hope rises from unexpected places. And may we this day live in that hope. The fullness of time came when Jesus was born when the God of the universe stepped into our time and space to fulfill the promise. It didn't step in by coming in power, but stepped in like we all do. Born of a woman. Born into questionable circumstances. Born into harm's way. When the complete time finally came, he came to us. And the promise we wait for now is like the first. He will come again. He promised it. He promised it when the time that the heavenly, his heavenly Father knows, when the complete time finally comes, he will come again. 
we wait now like those who waited then for the fullness of time to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as those who waited for the fullness of time to come, when your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, came as a child, Lord, we wait now as those who waited then. We wait for your fullness of time. Lord, we may, may we wait in the hope that we are yours. May we wait in the hope, Lord, that we are your dearly beloved. May we wait in the hope that you are coming, that you are coming to make all things as they were once and will be for eternity. No more sin, no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. Lord, give us your hope by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.